Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. You'll notice that we have our uh, communion table uh, before us this morning. And just if you're visiting with us today, we want you to know that uh, you are welcome, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, to share in this today. This is not just for members of the Brian Bible Church. This is for anybody who knows Christ as Savior and uh, as part of the church, the body of Christ. And we are going to, later on in the service, we'll share the cup and the bread with you. We have our uh, schedule, and we have this on the schedule six times a year. And as we uh, look at our, uh, you know, I like prepare our preaching schedule and look at things, I'll say, oh, that's right, it's communion on this Sunday. And uh, sometimes you catch yourself thinking, oh, man, i got to adjust things now. I forgot about that and so forth. And then as you prepare, and I give thought to this, um, uh, at least I'll speak for myself, and get caught up short and say, wait a minute, uh, this is why we're here. This is, this is so important, and this is so good. It is so good for us to just stop and remember why we are here today. Our choir, uh, thank you. The choir, it's good to have you back. Not that you ever went anywhere, but you're back in the choir loft. And uh, so good. And that beautiful song you sang this morning, Embrace the Cross. Amen? Wasn't that great? Embrace the Cross. This morning, uh, I want to do that. I want you to do that. I want myself for myself that we embrace the cross and remember as we consider in our study of the book of Acts that we began last Sunday and you began in our Sunday school classes this morning. We're all studying the book of Acts together. And I want us to, as we continue to look at a few verses from Acts this morning, to remember the essential teachings of the death, burial, and resurrection of our Savior Jesus Christ. So let's pray. Father, as we open your words, before we share the bread and the cup together, uh, just pray simply that our hearts will be open to your word this morning. And uh, we ask your blessing upon each person here. And bless our children, Lord, as we see these children go and continue to worship and to learn and to sing together. We pray your blessing on them. In Christ's name, amen. Acts chapter 2. And tonight we're going to come back to Acts chapter 2. For those of you that would be interested, coming back on Tuesday, on Sunday nights, we have a Bible study time together. We have some singing of hymns and then a Bible study together. And tonight we're going to focus on Acts 2 once again and come back to this passage. And this morning in our classes, adults, youth, and children, through the elementary children, uh, study together the last part of chapter 1 and chapter 2. Chapter 2, beginning chapter 2, and that was the events of the Feast of Pentecost. We hear much about Pentecost in the Christian church today, and we must remember Pentecost is a Jewish festival. It's the festival of weeks. Pentecost is the Greek translation of this uh, celebration. Penta means 5 or 50. So it was 50 days after Passover. Fifty days after Passover, and in Judaism, is considered the Feast of Weeks. That's because in the Old Testament, in the Torah, it says to number off seven weeks 
from the time of Passover and then the day after that to celebrate the ingathering of the harvest, the ingathering of the wheat harvest. It was the last of the grain harvests. And that time of year in the Middle East where there are two crops, they gathered in the wheat harvest. And so this was the Feast of Shavuot, the Feast of Weeks, or in the Greek translation, the Feast of Pentecost. And it was on that feast. It was one of the three feasts. It was a very important feast, actually, because there are three feasts in the Old Testament where every Jew, every Jewish male at the time, who could, was supposed to come to Jerusalem to celebrate. That's why Jesus was in Jerusalem when he was 12 years old. They came to celebrate the feast. And there were three of them. And this is one of them. So it's a very important feast. And it's significant. They said this feast of Pentecost, that God pours out the Holy Spirit on the apostles. And as was pointed out in our class this morning, as Chris led us in our class, this, this is an Old Testament tradition. You see this in the Old Testament. You will see times where, where, where people are prophesying. They are speaking in tongues, if you will. Uh, they are, the Holy Spirit comes upon them in power as a demonstration that God is at work. God is working here and he comes upon these apostles at Pentecost and the people are amazed at the temple courts as they hear them speaking in their own languages that they've come from all over the world. It was this major feast day in Israel that they are there that this takes place. And so we're going to come back to that tonight in the, in the sermon from Joel chapter 2. But I want us, as we come to communion this morning, I want us to focus on just a couple of parts of this sermon by the Apostle Peter in Acts chapter 2. After, after they have sp- spoken in tongues, and after Peter gets up and explains that they are, this is according to Joel chapter 2, the prophecy in the Old Testament, that God said this was going to happen. Then he says this in verse 22, Men of Israel, listen to this. This is Peter now, don't forget. This is, this is Peter, the Galilean fisherman, who... Uh, this is the man who vehemently swore up and down he didn't know Christ, right? When, when the hour of need. Uh, this man has been radically changed and transformed. He has seen the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. He's been with him for 40 days and listened to him teach them. And in boldness, in dangerous situation, he stands up and says, Men of Israel, listen, Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs. You should have believed he did these things, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. Now, I want you to notice this verse. We could spend a whole sermon on this because we're in the area of the sovereign will of God, the free will of humanity, right, that people talk a lot about. But look what it says here. I mean, the Bible says this. This man was handed over to you... By God's set purpose and foreknowledge. This was determined by God. This had to happen. There was no other way. This was God's plan. This was God's plan that Jesus Christ be crucified and then across the Calvary. That's what it says there. There's no other way to read this, friends. There is no other way to read this. This was God's, really in the original language, determinate will that this had to take place. And he used humans to accomplish his purpose. Because then he says that you, with the help of wicked men, Gentiles, you put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But it was God's plan. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death. The original language here, the word literally means 
the birth pangs of death. It's a word that would be used for a woman in labor, birth pangs. The pain leading up to the joy of birth. It says God freed him from those birth pains of death. Why? Because it was impossible for death to keep him and to keep its hold on him. Now I want you to notice he quotes from the Old Testament here. And before we have communion this morning, I just, I just want to remind you that, that the Old Testament teachings and contexts that were the heart and soul of, of what was used to share the gospel message in the New Testament. Luke wrote Acts, as we looked about last week, and Luke also, of course, wrote Luke. And in Luke chapter 24, there are two instances where after the resurrection, in Luke chapter 24, as the, the disciples on the road to Emmaus, the, two, the disciples walking along, Jesus comes alongside, they don't know it's Jesus, and he begins to talk to them, and they don't know it's him. And they say, you know, you're the only one in Jerusalem who hasn't heard what's happened, what they did to Jesus. We thought he was a prophet. The women think they've seen him and so forth. And in verse 25, he said to them, how foolish you are, how slow of heart, and believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. He took, he took them back to the Old Testament and said, look at the Old Testament clearly spoke about these events. Nobody caught it. There is absolutely, well, I'll take that back. There's one minor strand in Jewish theology from the first century, time of the New Testament, that, that taught that there was going to be a suffering Messiah. In fact, there were some who taught there was going to be two Messiahs, one to reign and one to suffer. But overall, there is no major teaching that the Jewish Messiah would come and suffer and die and rise from the dead. But Jesus goes to the Old Testament and says, look at I want to show you where it's here. I want to open your hearts to understand more of what was written in the Old Testament. And then toward the end of that chapter, in chapter 24, as he meets with the disciples, and with his disciples, he said to them in verse 44, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. And he opened their minds so they could understand the Scriptures. And so Jesus then, after the resurrection, he spends 40 days with his disciples. We saw this last week in Acts chapter 1. As we go back to chapter 2, the Feast of Pentecost takes place after that 40 days. What did he teach them? We talked about this last week. What would it be like to, to, to sit at his feet and have God himself open up the scriptures and teach them to you and explain them and give new meaning not allegorical, not symbolic, not meaning that, that says, you know, it really it says this, but don't, don't, that has no history. It really means this. No, he explained how there were scriptures that could only be fully understood in light of the finished prophecy of the coming Messiah, his death, burial, and resurrection. And so in Acts chapter 2, I, wanted, I just want to show you an example of this. We've, we've come up to this point. Back where we were reading, verse 25, where it says, where Peter says, death could not hold him. And now he goes, look at the Old Testament scripture. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me. 
Now, if you go back to Psalm 16, where this comes from, clearly David is writing this, and it's, and it's in the first person. He's talking about himself. I saw the Lord always before me, David, writing this, because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart, David, is glad, and my tongue, David, rejoices. My body also will live in hope, because you will not abandon me, David, to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One, David. Now the word for Holy One there is the word we get, Hasidic. You've heard of, you've heard of Hasidic Jews, the very rigorous ones who practice the Mosaic Law to the very T. That's the word where it comes, it's this idea of righteous. Okay, it's the idea of righteous. That's the word there that's used there in the Hebrew, in, in Psalms. You will not let your Holy One, your faithful one, see decay, decay. You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Now, David wrote that in the first person, just like Psalm 23. Yea, though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table in the presence of mine enemies. Right? David is writing this. But then Jesus has taught the apostles and he's taken them to scriptures. And this is one he must have taken them to and explained to them. Now I want you to understand that, yes, David was talking about himself, but there's a richer fulfillment in this because of the, of the logic involved. Look what he says. Peter says, brothers, fellow Israelites. Now, now he's talking after quoting Psalm 616. It's, I can tell you confidently the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. When we were in Israel last May, we went to David's tomb, right? Remember that? We went to David's tomb. Well, that's the traditional site. It is not necessarily, but, but still it's the traditional site. And they come all day long and line up, the men's side and the women's side. We were, I was on the men's side, of course, and there they were teaching the, te- the youth and reciting scriptures and sort of like a catechism type thing. And, and bobbing back and forth at David's tomb. It's, it's a very important historical site draped with the flag. David's tomb. Peter says, look it. The psalmist said, you will not leave my, my body to decay. You will not let your Holy One suffer decay. But there's David's tomb. He's still here. What does that mean? His body has decayed. It's in that tomb. It's evidence that this was not just about David. His body is there today. It's decaying. This is what Peter says here. But he was a prophet and he knew, verse 30, he was a prophet. David was a prophet. And he knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke, David, David spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. And a miracle, the resurrection. Listen, Jesus died. He rose on the third day. But he clearly says here, his body did not see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, and he has poured it out on you. Then he quotes this very important another psalm in verse 34. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, 
Let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. I just wanted to show you, as we talk about this, that, that Jesus was on earth. And, this, and, he, and he talked to the apostles. And his apostolic teaching was passed on. And in fact, in Acts chapter 13, when the apostle Paul begins his first missionary journey after his salvation, when he and Barnabas go out, his very first sermon that he gives, and he goes to the synagogue. I was thinking about this, Josh. You know, we talk about um, God opening Muslims' hearts to the gospel. When, when, when Paul went to these cities, he went to the synagogue because there were people there that believed in one God. They believed in the Old Testament. And he could go to the Old Testament in the tradition of Jesus, what he did with the apostles, and show them from the Old Testament and argue with them. Look at this is talking about the Messiah. We should have caught this. And you know, it's interesting. We think about the Muslims. You think, can Muslims really come to Christ? They believe in one God. They're monotheistic. They, there, are some, there are some talking points right there. There are talking points. That with love and compassion as we reach out, and I appreciate what you shared today and, and sharing your heart, Josh, about that. We need to be bigger than, than some of the other things that are going on and say that, that what matters is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what's going to change the world. Amen? The gospel of Christ. Look what Paul says. Look what Paul says when he's preaching. Verse, verse 34 of, of uh, Acts 13. The fact that God raised him from the dead never to decay is stated in these words. I will give you the holy and sure blessings promised to David. So it is stated elsewhere. You will not let your holy one see decay. The Apostle Paul goes to the exact same passage to show from the Old Testament this had to happen. And so friends, as we come to communion today and we're going to celebrate the cup and the bread together, back, let me just finish with this in Acts chapter 2. I want to remind you how important this was. In Acts chapter 2, when they heard Peter preach, and they heard Peter argue from the Old Testament, if you will, and show them the truth of what has happened. And, these, and, there, and those who were called by God, their hearts were cut. And they were cut to the quick. And they said, what do we do now? The Messiah has been killed. What, what do we do? He rose from the dead. Peter says to them, brothers, repent, accept him, and he will come back. And as they begin to gather and as people come to faith in Christ, twice, verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And then later on, verse 46, every day, every day, these believers, these Jewish believers in this context, they continue to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, enjoying the favor of all people. So, so early in this story, in this particular context, and later on as Paul goes out to the Gentile world, as he says to the Corinthians, God gave this to me and I give it to you. From, we read it in 1 Corinthians 11. The night he was betrayed, he took bread, he broke it and said, this is my body, eat this in remembrance of me. The believers in that early, earliest days gathered together around the cup and the bread, and they broke bread together. Why? 
because it was so important as it is for you today, friends. I know you've got busy lives. I know you've got a lot of concerns. I know there's things tomorrow you might be thinking of right now that you have to do. It's good for us to come. First day of the week. Resurrection Sunday. It is good for us to just stop and just consider the cross of Calvary and the resurrection. I don't think when they got together and broke bread, they went home and said, ah, the music didn't do anything for me today. The message wasn't practical. I, no, they gathered in joy for one simple thing. God loved them and saved them by the blood of Jesus Christ and the power of the resurrection. And they grew by the thousands every day. And when Paul went out and preached, and it says in Acts chapter 13, when he finished preaching in the synagogue and showed those passages, many of the religious leaders came and embraced the cross of Jesus Christ because God was at work. We're going to come at this time, and we're going to share the bread with you. We have a tradition in our church family that our church elders, leaders, are the ones that serve this. And it's not just a tradition, it's because these are the shepherds of this flock. They serve faithfully, they love you, they pray for you. And because of that, we've asked them to serve you this morning. So we're going to pass first the bread to you. And if you would just take a piece and just hold it for a moment. Just hold the bread for a moment and just meditate that it represents the very body of God, Jesus Christ, who gave his life for us. The Lord told his his disciples on the night of the Last Supper, I've really desired to eat this meal with you. It's been in my heart. He knew what was ahead of him. But it was so important to be with these brothers that he had spent this time with, who he loved so dearly. And he said, I want to share this with you. And the Apostle Paul said, I received from the Lord what I passed on to you, the Lord Jesus. On the night he was betrayed, he took bread And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. We remember today, he died for me and for you. In remembrance, let's eat this part of the whole bread together. Father, we will never, of course, fully comprehend the pain our Lord suffered. Not only was his body broken and bruised and beat and battered and pierced, but he poured out his soul for our sins. We just come today to remember and trust that this remembrance will take us this week walking with you in your love and grace. Amen. We're going to pass the cup now. If you just would hold it and just uh, meditate, and when the elders come back, we will drink the cup together. The Apostle Paul goes on to tell the Corinthians, the church of Corinth, in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this is the new covenant, Kadash Barith, the new covenant, new covenant 
in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. And then the Apostle Paul adds, For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. This is about his death until he comes again for us. Whatever's gone on this past week in your life, whatever's been since we saw each other last, for you and for me, this is the first day of the week. We worship a God of new beginnings. Amen? This cup is about forgiveness and grace and mercy. God has called each one of us today to embrace, hold it close, the cross of Jesus Christ. And this blood represents the blood that flowed from that body on the cross that paid for my sin, for your sin, for our children's sin, for our grandchildren's sin, and for all who will come and embrace the cross. Let's drink it together. Lord, we thank you for the privilege today to come as your people and to say thank you in our humility, in our brokenness, in our weakness, in our humanity, which you fully understand, to begin a new week with a cross in front of us and the cross behind us. And Lord, we just pray if there will be a person here today who has never received your payment for their sins, that you would open their heart right now to this message that they are a sinner, that Jesus Christ was fully God and fully man. He is the only perfect holy sacrifice that can pay for sin. He died for them. He rose from the dead. And he offers eternal life through humbly, simply, and acknowledge and receiving the gift of the grace of God. In his precious name, we pray together. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us. We've sung about God's holiness, his goodness, his love for us. Let's walk in joy. Let's see a smile on our face. And let's leave this place rejoicing in a wonderful, wonderful God. Amen.